0: Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Our journalism is powered by you, not by any corporation or government. That means we count on your support to produce our daily news hour. Please make your donation of $5 or $10 or more at democracynow.org. Every dollar makes a difference. Thank you so much. This is Democracy Now!
1: And your support is crucial, not just to stand in such fight, but to get to the turning point to win on the battlefield. We have artillery. Yes. Thank you. We have it. Is it enough? Honestly, not really. (laughs) Ukrainian
0: President Volodymyr Zelensky addressing a rare joint session of Congress where he called on the U.S. to provide more military and financial aid for its war against Russia. During a meeting at the White House, President Biden announced the U.S. would send a Patriot missile system to Ukraine in a move criticized by Moscow. Ahead of Zelensky's trip, over a 1,000 faith leaders in the United States called for a Christmas truce in Ukraine.
2: As people of faith and
3: conscience, believing in the sanctity of all life on this planet, we call for a Christmas truce for Christmas truce for a Christmas truce in Ukraine.
0: We'll speak to three guests who are calling for that Christmas truce, the Reverend Graylin Hagler of the Fellowship of Reconciliation, Professor Cornell West, and Medea Benjamin of Code Pink. Plus, we look at the latest documents released by the January 6th Committee, now expected to release its full report on the Capitol insurrection today. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman, President. Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine has wrapped up a one-day visit to Washington where he called on the Biden administration and lawmakers to provide more military and financial aid to Ukraine in its fight against Russia. It was Zelensky's first overseas trip since the war began, came as Russia's war in Ukraine is about to enter its 11th month. On Wednesday evening, Zelensky addressed a rare joint session of Congress thanking the U.S. for the nearly $50 billion in aid it has so far directed to Ukraine.
1: Your money is not charity. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way.
0: Earlier Wednesday, President Biden welcomed Zelensky to the White House, where he announced more military aid for Ukraine, including a Patriot missile defense system. Biden indicated he would let Zelensky set the timetable for any negotiated settlement with Russia in a joint news conference.
3: It can succeed in the battlefield with our help and the help of our European allies and others. So that if and when President Zelensky is ready to talk with the Russians, he will be able to succeed as well, because he will have won on the battlefield.
0: Ahead of Zelensky's trip to Washington, over a thousand faith leaders in the United States called for a Christmas truce in Ukraine. We'll have more on the story after headlines with three of the signatories. Top European officials believe Russia may not be to blame for acts of sabotage that severely damaged undersea pipeline to carry natural gas from Russia to Europe. That's according to The Washington Post, which cited interviews with 23 diplomatic and intelligence officials from nine European countries about the September explosions that led to the closure of the Nord Stream pipelines. The officials privately said there's no evidence Russia was behind the sabotage, which caused some of the worst methane gas leaks in history and cut off supplies of Russian fuel to Europe ahead of winter. On Wednesday, a Kremlin spokesperson said European countries were failing to conduct a proper investigation. Russia has blamed the U.K. for the explosions, a charge denied by British officials. Russian President Vladimir Putin has pledged to expand Russia's army by a half million troops, is prepared to give his military, quote, everything it's asking for. In another sign the Kremlin's preparing for a long war in Ukraine, Russia's defense minister Wednesday suggested raising the maximum age of conscription from 27 to 30. President Putin also made a rare admission of battlefield defeats, calling the military situation in four Ukrainian territories recently annexed by Russia extremely difficult. Russia and China have kicked off a week of naval exercises in the East China Sea, including live-fire missile and artillery drills. The war games began one day after the U.S. Air Force flew nuclear-capable B-52 bombers and stealth fighters' jets to South Korea for joint drills, and after North Korea test-fired two medium-range ballistic missiles over the weekend. Meanwhile, the Japanese Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, has announced a five-year, 320 billion-dollar plan to buy long-range missiles capable of striking China or North Korea, including hundreds of weapons sold by Lockheed Martin. If completed, it would represent Japan's largest military buildup since World War II. Article 9 of Japan's constitution renounces war and bars Japan from using or threatening to use military force. The World Health Organization's calling on China to accurately report data about COVID-19 cases and deaths after Beijing ended its strict zero-COVID policy. On Wednesday, WHO officials cited anecdotal accounts that ICUs are filling up with severely ill patients, even as China officially reported relatively few ICU admissions. This is the WHO's Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus.
3: WHO is very concerned over the evolving situation in China, with increasing reports of severe disease. In order to make a comprehensive risk assessment of the situation on the ground, WHO needs more detailed information on disease severity, hospital admissions, and requirements for ICU support.
0: On Wednesday, China reported no new deaths from COVID-19. The claim came after a top Chinese health official said China would change the definition of COVID deaths to include only those caused directly by pneumonia and respiratory failure. Many disease models predict a surge of COVID cases could kill up to a million people across China over the next few months. Here in the United States, life expectancy has dropped to its lowest level in a quarter of a century, brought down by the coronavirus pandemic and a surge of drug overdoses. New data from the Centers for Disease Control show a baby born in 2021 can, on average, expect to live 76.4 years. That's nearly two and a half years of lost life expectancy since the start of the pandemic. Last year, a record 106,000 U.S. residents died from a drug overdose, while COVID-19 remained the third leading cause. death behind heart disease and cancer. Up to 20 Rohingya refugees, including children, may have died on a boat carrying at least 160 people that's now stranded near India's Andaman Islands. It's believed the boat was headed to Malaysia from Bangladesh and has been adrift since late November. Aid groups warn survivors face imminent risk from starvation, thirst and sickness. This comes as the U.N. Security Council adopted its first resolution on Burma in three quarters of a century on Wednesday to call for an end to violence and the release of all political prisoners including Aung San Suu Kyi, who was ousted and detained by the military in February of 2021. Since the coup, the military has waged a brutal crackdown on protests and dissent. India, China and Russia abstained from the U.N. Security Council vote. In Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu said Wednesday he's formed a new coalition government just minutes ahead of a deadline and following weeks of negotiations. It's the most far-right government in Israeli history. Netanyahu and his Likud party will rule alongside leaders from the ultra-nationalist religious Zionism party and Jewish power party, confirming fears the rights of Palestinians in the occupied territories and Arabs living in Israel will be further eroded. Russian President Putin called Netanyahu earlier today to congratulate him. Netanyahu told Putin he hopes a way will be found as soon as possible to end the war with Ukraine. The Biden administration's enacted another round of sanctions against Iranian officials targeting individuals and groups involved in the crackdown on anti-government protests. Iran has executed at least two people in connection with the uprising sparked by the September death of the 22-year-old Massa Amini in police custody. Meanwhile, a recently surfaced video shows President Biden telling someone in a crowd at a November campaign event the Iran nuclear deal was dead. Biden's comment has further dashed hopes of reviving the landmark agreement, which Biden pledged to do when he was running for the presidency. Earlier this week, a top European foreign policy official said the EU is still working with Iran to restore the 2015 deal, which collapsed after the U.S. unilaterally withdrew from it under Trump in 2008. 18. The Pentagon's failed to meet a deadline set by a group of House lawmakers to explain the role of the U.S. military in a 2017 Nigerian airstrike on a displaced persons camp that killed more than 160 civilians, many of them children. Earlier this year, The Intercept reported the Pentagon provided Nigeria with intelligence ahead of the airstrike in the northeastern Borno state, which was supposed to target Boko Haram fighters. Human Rights Watch Nigeria condemned the Pentagon for its lack of transparency and accountability. Fiji's government has called in the military to help, quote, maintain law and order amidst a deepening political crisis following last week's contested election. The longstanding prime minister, Frank Bainimarama has refused to concede, delaying the swearing in of returning prime minister, Sitiveni Rabuka, who on Tuesday reached a deal with other opposition parties in forming a new coalition government. Bainimarama originally came to power in 2006 coup. Rabuka seized power in in Fiji's first coup in 1987 Rabuka is expected to pursue tighter ties with US allies Australia and New Zealand while the current leader maintained a close relationship with China. The Moroccan prime minister is suing José Beauvais, a former member of the European Parliament, for defamation after Beauvais accused him of attempting to bribe him into supporting a free trade agreement when he was a trade rapporteur for the European Union between 2009 and 2014. Beauvais, a French farmer, labor activist and politician, made the revelations on live radio last week.
3: The minister of agriculture
2: could not bear the fact that I was opposed to this project and he proposed to send a gift to me in Montpellier in a cafe that would be discreet and that we should meet between Christmas and New Year's day.
0: Was it money Jose Bouvet that he was offering?
2: Well, what else do you think it was? It wasn't a teapot to drink Jose Bouvet
0: has opposed trade deals with Morocco that include products From Western Sahara, which Morocco has occupied since 1975. This comes amidst growing corruption scandal in the European Parliament, where multiple lawmakers are accused of accepting bribes from the government of Morocco and Qatar. Go to democracynow.org to see our coverage of that story. Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgraced founder of fallen crypto exchange FTX, is in U.S. custody after agreeing to be extradited from the Bahamas. Bankman-Fried faces federal fraud charges after his company collapsed last month, losing billions of dollars. And more bad news for the erstwhile crypto mogul. Two former top executives have pleaded guilty to fraud and agreed to cooperate in the government's criminal case against Bankman-Fried. and in Virginia, a life-size bronze statue of Henrietta Lacks, the black mother whose cells were taken without her consent in 1951 and used in medical research and treatments, will be placed in a plaza next year in her hometown of Roanoke, Virginia. The plaza was previously named after the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Henrietta Lacks' cells, known as HeLa cells, led to groundbreaking treatments for HIV, AIDS, cancer, and other illnesses. This is Ron. John Lacks, the grandson of Henrietta Lacks, speaking at a news conference to unveil the statue's design.
4: This historical moment, occasion, has been a long time coming, and I want to thank Vice Mayor Tris White Boyd and the Foundation, because they were the first ones to ever reach out to the Lacks family before starting this project. And this means a lot to my family.
0: And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the war and peace report. Coming up, the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addresses a rare joint session of Congress as over a thousand faith leaders in the United States call for a Christmas truce in Ukraine. We'll speak to three of them. Stay with us.
5: We are as paper against the walls of the
0: passage.
5: We were spoken into being.
0: Thirty-six. We are as paper by Sharnova, Far cry. This is Democracy Now! democracynow.org. The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed a rare joint session of Congress Wednesday night, where he called on the Biden administration and lawmakers to provide more military and financial aid to Ukraine in its fight against Russia. Zelensky's visit to Washington came 300 days after Russia's invasion on February 24th. It was Zelensky's first overseas trip since the war began. On Wednesday afternoon, President Biden met with Zelensky at the White House, announcing more military aid for Ukraine, including a Patriot missile defense system.
3: Today, I'm announcing the next tranche of our security assistance to Ukraine. $1.85 billion package of security assistance that includes both direct transfers of equipment to you that Ukraine needs, as well as contracts to supply ammunition Ukraine will need in the months ahead for its artillery, its tanks, and its rocket launchers. Critically, in addition to these new capabilities, like precision aerial munitions, the package will include a Patriot missile battery, which will and one which will train Ukrainian forces to operate as part of the ongoing effort to help bolster Ukraine's air defense. During a speech to a joint session of Congress
0: later in the day, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said aid to Ukraine should be viewed as an investment, not charity.
1: It's a great honor for me to be at the U.S. Congress and speak to you and all Americans against against all odds and doom and gloom scenarios Ukraine didn't fall Ukraine is alive and kicking yeah. Ukraine Ukraine holds its lines and will never surrender so, So here is the front line. The tyranny which has no lack of cruelty against the lives of free people. And your support is crucial. Not just to stand in such fight, but to get to the turning point to win on the battlefield. We have artillery. Yes. Thank you. We have it. Is it enough? Honestly, not really. (laughs) Financial assistance is also critically important, and I would like to thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for both financial packages you have already provided us with, and the ones you may be willing to decide on. Your money is not charity. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way.
0: That was Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressing a joint session of Congress. He came to the United States yesterday and left after a number of hours after that address. In Moscow, Russian President Vladimir Putin made a rare admission of major problems facing the Russian military, but vowed to continue fighting in Ukraine and promised to give the Russian military everything it's asking for. Meanwhile, the Kremlin spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, criticized Zelensky's visit to Washington and the Biden administration's decision to send more arms to Ukraine.
6: The supply of weapons continues and the range of supplied weapons is expanding. All of this, of course, leads to an aggravation of the conflict. This does not bode well for Ukraine.
0: Ahead of President Zelensky's trip to Washington, over a thousand faith leaders in the United States called for a Christmas truce in Ukraine. The signatories included the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Bishop William Barber, and members of the Russian Orthodox Church. The letter was initiated by the Fellowship of Reconciliation, Code Pink, and the National Council of Elders. The groups also released this short video featuring some of the signatories.
2: As people of faith and conscience, believing in the sanctity of all life on this
3: planet, we call for a Christmas truce, for Christmas truce, for a Christmas truce in Ukraine.
2: The spirit of the truce that occurred in 1914.
3: During the First World War, we urge our government to take a leadership role in ending the war in Ukraine by calling for a ceasefire a negotiated settlement. We pray they do this before more people are killed and wounded and millions more are displaced from their homes, before the growing crisis in global hunger and poverty worsens, and
5: before the conflict results in a nuclear war that could devastate the world's
3: ecosystems and annihilate
5: and annihilate
3: and annihilate
5: all
2: of God's,
3: all of God's, all of God's creation, 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 creation,
0: creation. We're joined now by three guests involved in this call by over a thousand faith leaders for a Christmas truce in Ukraine. The Reverend Grayland Scott Hagler is an advisor to the Fellowship of Reconciliation. Cornel West is an author, activist, and professor at Union Theological Seminary. He's author of numerous books, including Race Matters and Black Prophetic Fire. And Medea Benjamin is co-founder of Code Pink, which helped initiate the Christmas truce in Ukraine letter. She's co-author of the new book, War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. Medea, let's begin with you in Miami, Florida. Talk about the reasoning behind this call and how both President Biden and President Zelensky, in this rare moment, Zelensky's first overseas trip uh, since Russia invaded, um, how they dealt with the issue of negotiation. You're, though, calling for a truce. And talk about the distinction.
5: We feel that this war is not going to be won on the battlefield. This is something that The chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, said, uh, we uh, see that the head of NATO, Jen Stoltenberg, who has been so hawkish on this, was asked his greatest fear. He said, spinning out of control. If it goes wrong, it could go horribly wrong. We see us no longer marching towards a nuclear Armageddon with our eyes closed. It's with our eyes opened. There will not be a military victory. There must be negotiations. And we don't want the moral center questioning this war to be coming from people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bobart, Donald Trump, or Tucker Carlson, uh, who are the people now questioning this war. We want it to come from the moral center of this country. That means the faith-based community who understands that we have to protect all of God's creation and that our moral obligation is to stop the killing, stop the fighting, stop the war. And that's why we have called for this Christmas truce. Professor Cornell West, uh,
0: you are uh, a doctor of a professor of philosophy and Christian practice at Union Theological Seminary. We're speaking to you in Irvine, California. Um, talk about why you signed on to this letter and what you think the U.S. should be doing that it's not doing right now, clearly far and above the major supporter of Ukraine financially, militarily, uh, when it comes to dealing with Russia's invasion.
6: Oh, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't hear your full question, though, Sister Amy, but, but that's all right, though. Uh, I, I think it had something to do with the ways in which I would hope we accent how both the American empire that set the context for this situation with the expansion of NATO and pushing the gangster Putin— with his wounded Russian empire against the wall and then the wrong, illegal and immoral invasion and occupation of our precious Ukrainian brothers and sisters. But we have to be willing to have a moral witness that keeps track of the organized greed, of the routinized hatred, of the manipulated fear and the chronic hypocrisy of the wounded Russian empire and the American empire that is, of course— 800, has 800 military troops, uh, uh, units around the world and doesn't want to be honest about its own role. We know that if there were missiles in Canada or Mexico or Venezuela or Cuba, the US, U.S. military would blow them to smithereens. So we have no moral authority when it comes to dealing with the gangster activity of Putin. We have American gangster activity in our military-industrial complex tied to the White House.
0: And Reverend Graylin Hagler, um, if you can talk about what this truce would mean uh, as a minister in Washington, D.C., and senior advisor to the Fellowship of Reconciliation. Um, it seems that in the United States, this is unlike even the media in France, for example, in Germany, that negotiation is viewed as capitulation. Um, in other places, it's viewed as uh, how to save the planet. But talk about what it would look like here and what your response was to yesterday's joint session of Congress, to the plea that President Zelensky made with his people under fire across Ukraine, what it means for President Biden to agree to send this Patriot missile system. Uh, It clearly, Zelensky, to laughter, has said he'll be asking for more.
4: Yes, well, thanks, Amy. What I want to start out with is by saying the Fellowship of Reconciliation is the oldest peace and justice organization, uh, and continues to try to lift up an alternative vision of what, um, of what we need to, how we need to respond as a people. One thing that we know is that wars create carnage and wars create a atmosphere where basically the manufacturers of weaponry and those who struggle to try to enlarge empire grow rich while people who are caught up in the conflict grow poor Uh, uh, carnage uh, visits them Uh, there's basic destruction we believe that there's an alternative way and that alternative way comes out of discussion because really when you talk about discussion or truce you're talking about a battle for the soul whether the soul can actually commune with another soul and produce a more just world a world that's not built upon conflict and, and pain and aggression. What we're looking at is in 1914, on Christmas Eve, in World War One, people came out of the trenches, combatants, and celebrated for a moment an atmosphere of peace. And we're saying that that history mm-hmm. is speaking to us right now and calling upon us right now to create an atmosphere where we can begin the road towards peace and reconciliation Because the issue is, is weapons are not going to take us there, and combatants are not going to take us there. It's only when we sit down and say, enough is enough, and we need to reason from the heart and the spirit of justice.
0: I wanted to turn to um, the comments that uh, Angela Merkel made uh, earlier this month. Yes, the former German chancellor uh, making headlines uh, about the Minsk Agreement in 2014 to end fighting in eastern Ukraine. Merkel said, quote, the 2014 Minsk Agreement was an attempt to give Ukraine time. It also used this time to become stronger, as you can see today. Russian President Vladimir Putin later cited Merkel's comments.
3: Everything that is being said now
4: only shows that we did everything right concerning the beginning of the special military operations. Why? Because it turns out that no one wants to fulfill all these Minsk agreements.
3: The meaning was only to
4: pump Ukraine with weapons and prepare them for battle actions. We see. Apparently, we focused too late. Honestly. So it begs the question, how can we make deals, and can we make deals, and where are the guarantees? That is the question. Anyway, in the end, we have to make agreements. I've said many times that we are ready for these agreements. We are open.
0: Medea Benjamin, if you can comment on this and then talk about the course of this war Um, and particularly, I mean, front page New York Times, Putin admits battle failures, but fights on. It was a rare admission yesterday, uh, but saying he's committed to the long haul and President Zelensky saying the same thing.
5: Well, I think it's important to understand that Angela Merkel, in her interview, also said, why would Putin ever trust the West in peace negotiations, uh, basically using those peace negotiations not to stop the inflow of weapons into Ukraine, but to start pouring them in even more. Uh, and so there is no trust on any side at this point. But there is a need for negotiations. Both sides have staked out their positions, maximalist positions, on each side. Uh, uh, Zelensky now saying they want every inch of Donbas and all of Crimea back. Uh, and uh, the Russians saying they now uh, control and own these four uh, regions of uh, Ukraine that they can't even control on the battlefield. Uh, but these are positions for negotiations. But the call for negotiations has to come from Biden. Uh, and it is not happening. We see that after he met with Macron, the head of France, Macron said there are legitimate security interests of Russia that have to be taken into account. Uh, so that all has to be dealt with at the peace table. And so what we are saying with this uh, Christmas truth call is that let's be realistic with the American people. We keep pouring more money. Now it will be another $45 billion that will be approved by the end of this week. That's over $100 billion, uh, without a year going by that could have been used for so many uh, essential needs here in this country, and instead pour it into a war that is not winnable on the battlefield. So. We need to be honest about this, and that's why we have this call for a Christmas truce. That's why Reverend Barber will be giving a Christmas Eve sermon on the moral imperative of a truce. That's why we're having uh, a week of protest starting January 13th. February 19th, the Libertarian Party and the People's Party calling for a protest in Washington, D.C. March 8th, International Women's Day, an international call of women to say, stop this war and end all wars. That's what we need to do.
0: I wanted to turn to two clips of President Biden. Um, This was uh, the joint news conference that he held with the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky yesterday afternoon at the White
3: House. And President Zelensky, you have made it clear that he is uh, open to pursuing. uh, um, Well, let me put it this way. He's not open, but you're open to pursuing peace. You're open to pursuing a just peace. We also know that Putin has no intention, no intention of stopping this cruel war. And the United States is committed to ensuring that the brave Ukrainian people can continue, continue to defend their country against Russian aggressions as long as it takes.
0: And Biden went on to indicate he would let Zelensky set the timetable for any negotiated settlement with Russia.
3: can succeed in the battlefield with our help and the help of our European allies and others. So that if and when President Zelensky is ready to talk with the Russians, he will be able to succeed as well because he will have won on the battlefield.
0: Cornell, West, if you can respond to that awkward moment at the beginning, which sounded like he was saying that um, the Russian president was willing to negotiate, um, and then going on to say this is completely up to Zelensky. Cornell, are you having trouble hearing us? What's going right Uh, I think Cornell is having trouble. So let's go on to uh, Reverend Hagler uh, in answering that question.
4: Well, I think that the issue is you would hope that Joe Biden would lead in peace efforts and not in war efforts. And I think that's the issue. And that's what we've called out in terms of this letter is calling on the leadership to lead towards peace, towards negotiations, towards a dialogue, towards finding a way out of this. Uh, and uh, clearly, what takes place on the battlefield will not bring solution. It'll just bring further complication and loss of life. And so we're asking that Biden lead in terms of peace and that the ears of the world demand peace right now.
0: And, I mean, Reverend Hagler, you're right there in Washington, D.C. You had this unusual moment weeks ago when um Pramila Jayapal, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, um, uh, the caucus put out a letter from a number of progressive politicians calling for a negotiated settlement, then awkwardly retracted it. Um, What do you understand is going on in Washington right now? Why isn't the discussion in the media, in Congress, that range of discussion? Instead, it is the far-right Republicans who are raising questions about giving so much support to Ukraine, but anti-war progressives are not speaking out as much in Congress.
4: Well, there's this ideological wall that seems to have developed, and that ideological wall, uh, is those who continue to cheer on, uh, 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 Zelensky and Ukraine. And on the other hand, you have the Republicans, uh, particularly the right-wing, ultra-right-wing Republicans that are basically operating as agents for Putin. So people have chosen sides, unfortunately. And the sides that they have chosen are not the side, is not the side of peace, but it's the side of continued warfare, continued aggression, and and when we sit and look at this, the money that's wasted, the money that's wasted on armaments, that yes could be spent at home, and could be spent in other kinds of endeavors that build up the world and build up uh, the kind of human dignity and worth that we really expect. You know, when we look at this truce, one, this letter that went out calling for a truce, it was very interesting how quickly religious leaders signed on to it, because religious leaders understood that there is another way that we need to go. There's another thing that we need to be cheering about, and that is that we need to be cheering about coming to a place where we can sit down and solve issues not on the battlefield, but across the table from one another. And that's what we're calling for. And that 1914 moment of truce is a history lesson that's speaking to us in the current moment.
0: Medea Benjamin, in your recent book on Ukraine, you wrote, in May, after the U.K.'s Johnson and U.S.'s Austin delivered their message to Zelensky in April to keep fighting for the long run, the U.S. Congress passed an enormous $40 billion aid package to help Ukraine militarily and economically to fight a long war. Not a single Democrat opposed the bill, including Senator Bernie Sanders and the most progressive House Democrats, although 11 Republican, senators and 57 House Republicans voted against it, you said. Um, There's also discussion that uh, this moment um, that President Biden and President Zelensky have seized for Zelensky's joint session of Congress address is right before the House changes hands to Republicans um, because a number of Republicans, not clear if the House speaker will be McCarthy, are demanding that this money and weapons flow stop. How how do you feel as a progressive anti-war activist? Um, Two things, being allied with far-right Republicans, and secondly, um, being called by some a Russian apologist.
5: I feel that um, if I were in Russia, I would be in jail for protesting this war, uh, I also feel terrible that my uh, Congress people in the Progressive Caucus were cowed and silenced. I think the 30 who signed on that letter uh, in their heart of hearts probably believe that negotiations is the only way. And we have to pressure them more to come out and say that their original stance was right, just as Congressman Rokana stood by that stance on his, uh, uh, on, uh, national television and CNN and got tremendous support for it. Um, we in the Peace in Ukraine coalition have been putting pressure On those 30 Congress people to come back out and say, yes, negotiations is the right thing. Yes, a Christmas truce would be a wonderful thing. So it's our job to put the pressure on our members of Congress, whether they're Republican or Democrat, to come out with the only rational position right now. The U.S., unfortunately, in the Biden administration, has been against negotiations, nixed the negotiations that were going on in late March, early April, And told the Ukrainians, basically, you don't have to negotiate because we're going to keep pouring uh, more weapons in. This is only helping the weapons companies who actually uh, were the sponsors of a reception at the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, D.C. on December 8th, brought to you by Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman and Raytheon. Uh, they are the ones who are getting rich in this. The Ukrainians are suffering. The whole world is suffering from this, and we have to get Congress, all of Congress, to recognize this is not in the best interests of the American people or of the entire world.
0: I want to put that same question to Cornel West: um, <clears throat> Where you find yourself on the spectrum, and those that say a negotiated settlement now? only serves uh, Vladimir Putin. Um, And Zelensky's push right now is to not only hold ground, but to, with the Patriot missile system, um, go on the offensive. He says it's the only way um, to win this war.
6: Well, I mean, I think Sister Medea's point that you've got 14,000 courageous Russian brothers and sisters who are willing to go— to jail for seven years in order to have some accountability of the gangster who runs their empire, Russia. We need to have an equivalent anti-war movement in the American empire that's willing to put pressure on our political elites. Most of our political elites in Congress suffer from a moral and spiritual bankruptcy because they can't say a mumbling word when it comes to what's really happening on the ground with the heroic struggles In in Iran right now, they can't say a mumbling word about the Palestinian struggles, what's, what's been going on for the last 50 years. But all of a sudden, they're willing to break dance and act as if they're concerned about domination when it comes to Ukraine. So we want to be consistent. We want to support any people who are dominated, whether they're Dalits in uh, neo-fascist India, whether they're landless peasants in Brazil, whether they're black people and working people in America, whether they're workers in the UC University California system, and not a mumbling word from Democrats like the governor, Cavin. we want moral consistency— that's what Martin King was calling for. That's what Dorothy Day was calling for. That's what Rabbi Heschel was calling for in the 60s. That's our legacy. And what that means is we're going to cut against all the grains in the name of truth and in the name also, we hope, of, of justice and even some beauty.
0: I want to ask you about the split on the left, uh, Professor West. Um, Some on the left have emphasized the history of U.S. hostility to Russia in the region, including pushing NATO expansion. You have people like the CIA director, William Burns, who in the past was fiercely critical of the U.S. pushing to expand NATO. And uh, many say the U.S. now has no right to criticize Russia, which, according to this logic, is defending its sphere of influence. However, others on the left have insisted that imperialism must be opposed in all its ugly forms, whether it's U.S. imperialism or Russian imperialism against the deeply suffering Ukrainian people. Where do you stand on this?
6: Well, I stand on the highest moral ground I can gain access to, which is an opposition to imperialism, be it China, be it India, be it America, be it Britain, be it France, be it Russia, across the board, our anti-imperialism must be consistent. I was thinking of my dear sister Charlene Mitchell, who I had such great respect for. And we all didn't always agree, but she was a long-distance runner, and she attempted to be consistent in her critiques of predatory forms of capitalism. And I and I, and I resonate with that. But we need more Medea Benjamins. We need more Brother Hagler's. And we need more Amy Goodman's in the world. Let me tell you that.
0: But if you can talk more about what should happen in Ukraine right now. I mean, you also have been extremely critical of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, You have millions of Ukrainians fleeing right now. Some say that President Putin wants this to happen because it'll turn Europe against Ukraine because they can't
6: deal with the flow of refugees. Well, we we need to have a truce. That's the first step. This is the process. This is stage by stage, moment by moment. To have a truce and then to put pressure on both ruling classes for, across the board. Put pressure on the power elites in both empires across the board, and then have a moral and spiritual and political galvanizing of the people from below. Because if it's dependent solely on the voices of the power elites, it's not going to happen.
0: How does a truce lead to a ceasefire, Cornell West?
6: Well, one, it allows us to view the world through the lens of peace rather than war. It allows us to assume that there can be not just major interruptions in the process of war, but maybe those interruptions can become more chronic. And as they become more chronic, we have peaceful ways of dealing with the various forms of death and dogma and domination that are shot through the history of the species. And all we have is actually these utopian projects of trying to create some spaces in which people are not at each other's throats. So that's what truces do to provide not just moments, but different lens through which we view the world. I think that's what Brother Hagler was saying with such eloquence, and that's what Medea Benjamin has been talking about all her life, Fine. Or, lo- or at least her political life. I don't, I don't think she came out of the womb talking that way, but I mean— <laughs>
0: And if you can address that split, Medea Benjamin, something you have also been dealing with, um, uh, progressives uh, talking about supporting Ukraine at all costs because of the imperialistic invasion by Russia of Ukraine, uh, and then seeing this war uh, not only as it is, but possibly escalating to a global conflagration, or even if it doesn't uh, lead to nuclear war.
5: I've been going around the country with my colleague, Nicholas Davis, on a 50-city tour, and we find that uh, audiences come in with very different views. I ask them, how many of you are confused about this? And just about everybody raised their hand. We have good discussions, and people leave with a much deeper understanding that this war didn't just fall from the sky, that there are contexts to understand, uh, and that there is not a military victory. Uh, And then they go out excited to do something about it. We have entire states that are mobilizing uh, statewide coalitions uh, to put the pressure on their elected officials. I think this is what happens to us when wars start in the beginning of the Iraq war. uh, We were also told that we were Saddam Hussein supporters. Um, People will uh, come around to our side as this war drags on, and more and more people get killed, and we become closer and closer to this nuclear Armageddon. uh, President Biden mentioned. So, I feel confident that we're on the right side of history. I hope more people will come uh, over to our side more quickly. Join us in the peaceinukraine.org coalition. I want to leave it there, but
0: of course, we'll continue to cover. What's taking place in Ukraine? Medea Benjamin of Code Pink, co-author of the new book, War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. Reverend Graylin Hagler, advisor to the Fellowship of Reconciliation, speaking to us from Washington. And Professor Cornell West of the Union Theological Seminary, speaking to us from Irvine, California. Coming up, we look at the latest documents released by the House January 6th Committee, now expected to release its full report on the Capitol insurrection today stay with us we all could Just Harding. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol is expected to release its final report today three days after the committee unanimously voted to refer President Trump to the Justice Department for criminal prosecution for attempting to overturn the 2020 election, the first time anything like this has ever happened in U.S. history. On Wednesday, the committee released transcripts from more than 30 interviews conducted with people who aided Trump's efforts, including conservative attorney John Eastman and former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Many of Trump's allies repeatedly invoked their fifth and Amendment protections against self-incrimination. To talk more about the House Judiciary uh, January 6th committee, we are joined by two guests, still with us, Cornel West, philosopher, author, professor at Union Theological Seminary, and Christina Greer, Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University, host of the podcast F-A-Q-N-Y-C, uh, host of the Blackest Questions podcast on the GRIO, and author of Black Ethnics, Race, Immigration, and the Pursuit of the American Dream. Can you respond, Professor Greer, to what we know so far?
2: Oh, Amy, (laughs) you know, what we do know is that for the first time in U.S. history, we've had a president that was so corrupt that surrounded himself with people who aided and abetted his corruption, who also were corrupt. Uh, And we now have to try and pick up the pieces of what is this democratic republic and what democracy looks like going forward. Just because it's unprecedented doesn't mean that we can't have prosecutions. And I think because we've never seen something on this scale, you know, many Americans think that Richard Nixon was impeached. He actually resigned before his impeachment. Uh, And so this is not a, a comparable scenario. This is someone who, while he was a sitting president, uh, not only tried to overturn the results of free and fair elections, something we've never seen before, but also tried to enlist some of his uh, allies at the highest levels of American government to, to assist him in those efforts. And what we still need to uncover is the number of Republican members of Congress who were willing to go along with it and assist him in those efforts of overturning a free and fair election. And so we're at a precipice, honestly, uh, as to whether or not We can continue as a nation since so many people don't believe uh, that Donald Trump did anything wrong. So many people wanted him to actually violently overturn the government. And we've got sitting members of Congress still in office today who refuse to recognize the severity of January 6th and how uh, dangerous it has been and continues to be uh, to the future of our democracy.
0: Corno West, we ask you to stay on for a number of reasons, but among them, um you were at the Unite the Right rally years before in uh in Charlottesville, Virginia. You were there when the white supremacists marched. Uh ultimately, the rally and riot that uh led to the death of an anti-racist protester, uh Heather Heyer. Um can you talk about What started then uh, under President Trump and ended here with the January 6th insurrection and what we know so far and what you feel should happen?
6: Yeah, I I think what we have, though, presently is the head spokesman of a vicious neo-fascist movement uh, that has been caught. We've been a gangster for a long time, should have been Uh, 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 persecuted a long time ago, but it has now a life of its own very different than Nixon in the past because he's actually got millions of people behind him who live in his world of lies and illusions. And that's why you're getting a lot of talk about, well, if he goes to jail, you're going to have civil war. If he goes to jail, it's going to be violent strife across the nation. And there there might be some truth to that precisely because the neo-fascist movement is In place, it has a dynamic of its own, and at this point, it doesn't even need Trump anymore, to tell you the truth. So that we're in a very different situation. This is why, when we talk about the threat to, you know, liberal bourgeois democracy, that's very, very real. And I want to defend whatever democratic practices we have, even though they are so corrupted by big money and big military and imperial policy around the world. Uh, But we're really in one of the most grim moments in the history of the American experiment, in the history of the American empire. So I do think this is not just unprecedented because of the fact that a president has now been, in some sense, uh, called—what would be the right word? um, Could possibly be on the way to jail. It depends on how courageous the Department of Justice actually is, and it depends on how courageous the— the bureaucrats there in that department are are willing to courageously pursue this. But it is a very, very unique moment. And what I saw in Charlottesville was just a particular galvanizing of those neo-fascists. And they're they're slices of the movement. All the folk who follow Trump are not neo-fascists, but they're conservative. And they're based—and it's motivated by one fundamental fact. They have a profound hatred— Uh, the professional managerial class that they see as the winners of corporate globalization. And they associate that with black people, with Jews, with gay brothers, lesbian sisters, trans. And used to be Catholics, but I ran into David Duke down there. And he's now head of one of the Klan groups. That's American uh, upward mobility, American style. They have a Catholic now running the Klan. And the Klan began by hating Catholics, Jews and black folk. And, and we're going to see more of that as well. You're going to see more Jewish folks supporting the neo fascist You're going to see more black folks supporting the neo-fascists. That's where we are now.
0: I wanted to ask about a really odd twist that's uh, come up, and I wanted to ask Professor Greer about the New York Republican newly elected to Congress appears to have fabricated key parts of his education and employment history. That's according to an investigation by The New York Times. Congress member-elect George Santos lied when he told voters he worked for Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. IRS says the animal rescue group that he claims to have led, called Friends of Pets United, did not file any records indicating its tax-exempt status or that it existed, times also found Santos faced criminal charges for check fraud in Brazil at a time when he claimed to be attending classes at Baruch College, which has no records for Santos, among many other issues. And it's particularly significant given the very close um, uh, breakdown of Republicans and Democrats in the House. The significance of all of this coming out right now that people don't have really any idea who this man is. Um, But McCarthy not wanting to call him out because he's running for House Speaker and he's afraid uh, he will lose some on the right if he goes after a new Congress member.
2: Absolutely, Amy. I mean, the the lack of courage from the Republican Party, you know, never ceases to amaze me. But what's really dangerous about this uh, congressman-elect is that there seems to be nothing factual about his biography. I mean, all the way down to lying about his Jewish and Catholic heritage and his uh, alleged grandparents being uh, survivors of the Holocaust. Uh, the, even the address that he's listed uh, on his on his filings when they called that, that number, uh, the woman who picked up had no uh, knowledge of who this person was and said he had never even lived there. So there's nothing that's truthful. I think the Democrats in New York, though, do need to uh, And he was have there,
0: a- by the way, Professor Greer, on January 6th, the one of the Absolutely. insurrectionists.
2: Absolutely. But I think the Democratic Party obviously needs to do a serious uh, introspective reshuffling as well. You know, we can't keep paying uh, Washington, D.C. consultants to run campaigns when we need some grassroots, uh, you know, investigative reporting, obviously, as to this is a candidate who this isn't his first time running. So these things are pretty obvious. I mean, we have technology uh, and I think the Democratic Party really needs to think about how they connect to voters, but also how they uh communicate a message when they're running against someone who's obviously uh, such a corrupt uh, candidate and was able to uh, ring the alarm for Republican voters. And and as Professor West has stated, you know, so many members of the Republican Party, not all, but so many members are either part of the, the fascist agenda or they're willing to go along with it. And that's just as dangerous.
0: Um, we want to thank you both for being with us. Of course, we're going to really take a look at the report that is supposed to come out today. It was supposed to come out yesterday. Not clear why it didn't. Uh, professor Christina Greer, professor at Fordham University, and Cornell West, professor at Union Theological Seminary, thanks so much for joining us. That does it for today's show. Democracy Now! produced with Renee Feltz, Mike Berkty, Guster, Messiah Rhodes, Nurmeen Sheikh, Maria Tarasena, Tammy Warnoff, Tarina Nadura, Sam Alkoff. Tamari A Studio, John Hamilton, Robbie Karen, Honey Masood, Mary Conlin, our executive director, Julie Crosby. Special thanks to our director, Becca Staley, John Randolph, Paul Powell, Mike DeFilippo, Miguel Maguera, Hugh Grand, Dennis Moynihan, David Prude, and Dennis McCormick. To see transcripts and uh, the podcast video and audio of all our shows, you can go to democracynow.org and sign up for our newsletter right there. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us.